Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we discuss a topic that changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis and this week it's uh, it's Hollywood's biggest night, as apparently people say. Uh, I've never heard anyone say this in real life, only on a podcast <laughs> making fun of it. Um, uh, which is the Oscars, of course. The Oscars are next Sunday and uh, in anticipation of that we're going to talk about you know, the nominees, the things that should have been nominated, things that shouldn't have been nominated, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, to help me through all of that is uh, Zoe Jays, who's returning to the show. Hi, Zoe. How are you? Hi, Ed. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm very, very well. Very excited about <laughs> how angry or happy the Oscars are going to make me, because it's very rare that I have kind of a neutral response to what happens in the Oscars every year. Yeah, I'm usually drunk, mm-hmm. so that, that helps. Because of the time it's on here, um, if you're making a night of it, by the point the ceremony actually starts, that sort of cushions the blow. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with it starting kind of mid-afternoon here, is it starts to feel very um, bourgeois to get kind of really drunk at like 7pm 7, 7 on a Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose if you're watching it here, you've automatically taken the next day off work, unless yeah. you're a lunatic. Um, <laughs> And it's really only a very select group of people that want to watch the Oscars with you when they start at one thirty, I think, in the morning here. Yeah, it's about then. That's why I never, I very rarely watch them live when, uh, when I was, when I live back in the UK, just because usually I'd be like working in a cinema the next day. And even though it provides good fodder for mm-hmm. talking to the customers, it's not great to be kind of sat there, kind of bleary eyed. No. I used to fall asleep watching them quite a lot when they were on the BBC. Mm. When I was a teenager, I'd try and stay up late to watch them when Jonathan Ross used to do the coverage. But then, I guess in the late 90s, probably they went to Sky, something like that. Um, The last one I remember watching and falling asleep was, I remember falling asleep. The last thing I remember was Halle Berry's acceptance speech for Monsters Ball. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what year that was. And then the last few years, I've started watching them again with, friends mm. either at people's houses or last year I went to the Roxy Bar and Screen um, which is a bar near London Bridge quite a few bars sort of do little you know red carpet parties for the Oscars where lunatics turn up <laughs> <laughs> at midnight and stay there till five yeah I mean that's kind of probably the best way to watch them because I think you know the, the Oscars as a kind of a ceremony they are best enjoyed as a spectacle they are yes at, at in, you know, at their best, they're very kind of entertaining. They are celebrations of of cinema in a sense, but mainly they are an opportunity to watch people kind of attempt comedy bits that fail. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, my favourite Oscar... Can you guess what, what my favourite Oscar ceremony is, Ed? Uh, was it the uh, Franco and Hathaway? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it's still my favourite Oscar ceremony of all time. I've never enjoyed the Oscars more. It was, I think... Uh, James Franco's sort of <laughs> idiosyncratic presenting style was just a real treat. I know a lot of people say it was the worst ever, but it was absolutely the best ever. It was the least boring. <laughs> it was the most funny. I laughed a lot during it just because it was so... Their, his presenting style was so incongruous to the whole <laughs> ceremony. It was wonderful. Yeah, and, and he had such a different energy to Anne Hathaway, who was a real kind of like... 
I don't know, like drama nerd kind of being really yeah. excited and being like, yeah, we're going to put on a show. And he yeah. could not seem more disengaged. <laughs> yeah, enthusiasm and apathy mixed together. It was, and, and he was nominated for Best Actor, which was even more peculiar. Mm. They had that bit where he was like, you know, hiding backstage because he was, he was nominated for Best Actor. I thought it was brilliant. I don't know what I've got. I've got no real knowledge of Jimmy Kimmel other than the whole Matt Damon mm. uh, thing, which I, you know, that that's all very funny. Yeah. I enjoy it. So, and I presume that means that Matt Damon will be involved somehow on the evening. I can't imagine they'd let that opportunity slide. Yeah, the kind of the thing that certainly, yeah, like that was the first time I ever heard of Jimmy Kimmel was when the. Uh, I'm fucking Matt Damon video mm-hmm. went viral uh, and then yeah. I'm fucking Ben Affleck and it was yeah. you know, that great series of response videos. Yeah, it was all, it was all great. So I, 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 you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a host he is. But yeah, I mean, in terms of watching it here, the the biggest issue for me now is the sort of sky coverage around uh, the ceremony, which is usually pretty terrible. Mm. I'm still not over um, Natalia Tainer being... Um, a pundit who literally she'd seen none of the films mm-hmm. um and I, I refer to her exclusively as tonks i'm only saying her name now <laughs> i really hated I, I sky seemed to find people who know nothing about film mm. to sit there for five hours and give their opinion on the awards that said sometimes i think they had sanjeev baskar a couple of years ago he was good and robbie collins sometimes does it he's great yeah yeah um but but usually they'll have one person who he seems to know absolutely nothing about film. Yeah, the US coverage is kind of similar, but I guess mm-hmm. a lot of the coverage is more kind of geared toward in terms of like the red carpety stuff. So it's just people kind of asking, who are you wearing? And then kind of asking very broad and bland questions about the film because they are, you know, they're on live TV and they probably want, yeah. don't want things to kind of veer too far out of control. Um yeah. Except yeah, but that's the, when yeah. it's most fun. Like when Nick Nolte was being interviewed and it was just like he had he didn't seem to have any idea why he was there or what was going on. <laughs> yeah, I I do like the red carpet. I am interested in the in the fashion. Mm. I do think the Ask Her More thing was was, was a good campaign. I think yeah. I th- I like looking at I, I I do think fashion is an art form and I mm-hmm. I do enjoy um observing what, what people are wearing, but certainly you don't need to have a, a conversation about it. Yeah especially when they're there for a very specific thing, which is that they have created a kind of a work of Absolutely. art. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. What are your kind of thoughts on the Oscars, like specifically this Oscars, like the nominations that, that have been out and the Oscars more in general? Because uh, I think you, you and I are kind of on the same page and that it, this year's nominations are actually, it's, it's a surprisingly strong field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we all know that award ceremonies are, are pretty much meaningless. And I, mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't take that much interest in the broader um, award season, except in their role as indicators as to what might win the Oscar. Yeah. Um, I don't, I particularly don't like the BAFTAs. I think mm-hmm. that it's a really boring ceremony. And the fact that it's shown two hours after the ceremonies happened on British TV, I can't understand why anyone would watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Oscars, they just, they just feel special, don't they? I mean, you it's if you're a film fan you know you're you're you grow up thinking it's a barometer for what for what the best films are that year and then as you get older you realize that that's not strictly the case Mm. um but as far as award ceremony go it's certainly the one that means the most i have been disappointed in the past with 
<laughs> best picture winners. Yeah, I mean, this year I think is an interesting field. I think ever since they opened best picture up to a maximum of 10, mm. you know, we've had some more interesting films nominated. I think, you know, District 9, things like that. Mm. Um, some real surprises. This year, normally I'll rank them and, and you get between, you know, you get four or five that you like and then, you know, a few that are pretty bad. But yeah, this year I think they're all pretty great, actually, the Best Picture nominees. Mm. Um, fences aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I didn't mind Fences when I watched it. I kind of thought, okay, this is... Well, it's clearly a play. <laughs> um, yeah. Like nothing, nothing. Um, like I was thinking, like within the first like twenty minutes, when it's just a, uh, just kind of characters rattling off dialogue with not a single pause, <laughs> seemingly. Uh, uh, you know, it was kind of like, okay, if I didn't know this was based on a play, I would have some suspicions at this point. <laughs> it doesn't do much to kind of break it out, I guess. But um, it's the one that I think that has uh, lasted the least long in my memory. Like after I first watched it, I thought, yeah. oh, that's fine. It's kind of middle of the pack. But since then, it's like I don't really remember much of it other than feeling very uncomfortable about like the McKelty Williamson character, who I think yeah. probably works really well on stage. And, and you know, he makes it work on screen. But oh, like, the yeah. first time he shows up, you're like, it's, wow, it's I'm not difficult. sure if this was a good choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, I think this is a, a good it's an interesting selection as well, because there are things in there like hell or high water which i yeah. liked a lot uh when i saw it in the cinema but like it came out at the end of august and i was like i mean that's really good but no one's going to be talking about it in four months absolutely and the well, that's, opposite has that's the definition of a big surprise isn't it i mean i i mean maybe if if i'd have been more tuned into the industry i would have seen it coming but mm. um that was a, a a big shock for me that Hello Hot Water is getting talked about for awards quite as much as it is, and getting a Best Picture nomination is amazing. It's a mm. it's a terrific uh, little genre film that does some yeah. interesting things with with the the tropes of a western. But I absolutely didn't expect it to get a Best Picture nomination when I saw it either. Yeah, and it's the, it's exactly what you, you you're talking about in terms of the expanded list. Like if it was just five, mm-hmm. no chance, no chance it would be in there. But with up to 10 and and they ended up settling for nine it kind of slots in nicely as a film that has people that the industry likes is got really great reviews and did kind of fairly well for a low budget neo-western and so like people can kind of say yeah sure i'll vote for that yeah yeah it's 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 fascinating really um when they go for nine instead of ten all the films that were slightly on the outskirts must feel kind of terrible because it's like it's not saying Mm. there wasn't enough room for you (laughs) It's saying you literally weren't good enough. Yeah. There isn't a 10th uh, film we could choose. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame, really, because I think that, you know, I'd have liked to see something like 20th Century Women kind of sneak in there, but that's a movie that I think came in kind of too late when everything was crowded and everyone had already kind of... Uh, everything had coalesced around, like, La La Land and Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea as kind of, like, the big contenders. Um, yeah. I think a real shame that um, that they didn't see fit to put American Honey in there. Mm, or yeah. even or even Love and Friendship. Yeah, Love and Friendship and American Honey were the, kind of the two big ones. That, like When I was coming up with a list of films I would have liked to have seen get nominated for something, those are the two that I would have liked. Like, even if it was just... I mean, Tom Bennett should have got Best Supporting Actor nomination. Oh, absolutely. And that hilarious. would have been a real lovely underdog story um, mm. because that performance sort of came out of nowhere and really mm. surprised everyone. And um, I and 
and I, I remember then I looked him up on Twitter because when you see a performance like that by someone who you hadn't necessarily seen before, the wonderful thing about the internet is you can then go and tell them. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that performance and that they might appreciate it. And I saw like he'd obviously just started on Twitter because mm. he'd got quite a lot of buzz, I guess, around that performance and people saying nice things and he was trying to figure out how to use it, which was really charming. And he was responding to every single person <laughs> who said it was a nice performance. And then you could you can kind of if you I carried on following him and you can sort of see the excitement start to build when mm. you know the Oscar race starts to heat up and someone's being talked about and it would have been really lovely to see him nominated um, out of left field but yeah it was it was a long shot I guess yeah and and um, like American Honey if if for nothing other than like cinematography which I think was kind of like if I was to rate what of what aspect of that movie was would be the kind of the one to stand out. Yeah. That was kind of where I thought it was because it's one of the most gorgeous films it is. I saw last year. It's beautiful and it has a, it just, <laughs> I think I said to somebody afterwards, it, it's, it's vibrating on its own frequency. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it has this energy running through it, which is quite unlike, I think, any film I've seen before. And I was really transported by it. I would have been really happy to see Andrea Arnold nominated for Best Director. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think she deserved it. I think she made something really unique and memorable, as you say, like, I mean, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna remember Fences in five years' time, <laughs> you know. Um, but I will certainly remember American Honey and probably watch it, you know, again. And I can't imagine doing that with Fences. Yeah, it takes a lot for a film that's pushing three hours to make you think. I would happily kind of rewatch that again. And that's a movie where it doesn't feel that long at all because no. it just unfurls in such a kind of a a natural and and you know entertaining way it's a it's a film that's kind of a lot on its mind but it is a very entertaining movie yeah i mean it feels sort of naff to say it doesn't it but it does feel like you're going on a road trip with them mm. <laughs> um and it's and it's a very unusual one and it takes turns that i didn't expect i really honestly didn't know where it was going to go yeah you know um and and what was going to happen to these characters uh which was which was quite thrilling and yeah i just thought it was wonderful a real shame that that got shut out also, in terms of movies that seemed like they were going to be juggernauts, but it just not it didn't happen for them. Uh, I was very, very surprised that Sully got shut out. Not necessarily oh, yeah. in terms of quality, oh, yeah. but like in terms of what you know. If you were to say to me which of these two films is going to be nominated for Best Picture in six months, uh, a movie starring America's dad, directed by America's uncle, they don't talk to, um, about a real life historical event that made a hundred uh-huh. million dollars or a low-budget movie about the life of a gay black guy growing up in Miami, mm-hmm. I, I would have probably gone for the first film. Uh, yeah. And in the end, it only got, like, sound mixing or sound editing. And it's like it's, it's just weird how that one, for some reason, didn't pick up any traction. Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. One, it's, one, it's a pretty bad film, in mm. my opinion. I did not enjoy it. I had, I had a unique experience watching it in that it was the surprise film at the London Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And I was really hoping, well, you know, you, you have a, an, an ideal film in your head, don't you, when you go to one of those sort of screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted it to be Jackie. And I'd heard rumours about Jackie. There were various other things that had been talked about. No one had said Sully. Mm-hmm. And then it was Sully and uh, me and a friend were both there and we were just, it, we were laughing at it because it was so <laughs> po-faced. It was like a parody of those kind of, you know, Oscar bait films. And, you know, they're like, we can't believe that they made a 90-minute film out of, you know, a 20-second event or however long it was. 
But it really feels like that. They're really stretching, stretching it out desperately. It's when you have, you know, a health and safety executive investigation. It's really <laughs> thrilling stuff. Um, <laughs> but you're right, that is the sort of film that you would expect to, to win Oscars. Perhaps, perhaps the changes to the, the Oscar membership has actually made a difference. Oh, yeah, because this is the first nomin- This is the first Oscars after they kind of changed the rules on who they're going to be inviting. They're aiming it to, to um, have the membership be composed of more women, of more younger people, of more people of colour. Yeah. And those, those effects, it's kind of like a long-term thing where I think over like 10 years they're going to try and get more parity between all of them. So it's still, it's still very um, yeah. white, older, dominated. But I think also just like the whole conversation around Oscars So White probably makes even those members who uh, aren't, you know, are, you know, old white dudes, they may be kind of taking these things into, into account more than they were a year ago. Yeah, I, I think certainly the fact that, you know, they, they brought a more diverse uh, voting pool in. But also mm. I think just that, that one thing where they would have got rid of loads of old white guys by saying, if you haven't made a film for 10 years, you're out. Yeah. Which I think is a very wise decision. I'm sure a lot sure. of those old dudes would have voted for Sully. oh and the worst thing the worst thing about that screening was at the end of it it wasn't even tom hanks that came out to do the q a it was aaron eckhart was furious (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's no more perfect metaphor for that screening (laughs) expecting hanks and getting eckhart exactly i've got no problem with aaron eckhart especially his earlier work but um i mean he's not he's not tom hanks is he no tom hanks didn't make high frankenstein He certainly did not. Uh, and also, uh, you know, I think one of the ones that took me completely by surprise in terms of nominations was Hacksaw Ridge, which, like, uh, yeah. I didn't see until after nominations had occurred. So, like, when I saw it, I thought, okay, I can see why, because it's a technical kind of uh, achievement and, and it's mm. incredibly well-directed and everything. But prior to that, it was a film that had come out, had done kind of middling business and no one seemed to be talking about it. And then suddenly, you know, Mel Gibson's back. You know, he's having his renaissance. Yeah, I think maybe that's, <laughs> you know, if you're talking about bringing in, you know, diversity into the Oscars, I think <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge is, a, is an interesting one. I did enjoy, well, enjoy is the wrong word. I thought that the the, the final hour was very kinetic um, yeah. and uh, sort of gobsmacking. You know, I was mm-hmm. covering my face at points and I was literally audibly gasping in the cinema. That said, I, I'm not sure that I would say it was well-directed because I think it's very disjointed. I think the first mm. half is pretty bad again verging on laughable i think andrew garfield is really creepy Mm, in it and again i couldn't tell if he was trying to do some kind of a performance that suggested this character had learning disabilities i was really confused by the whole by the whole performance that sort of constant smile that he Mm. had plastered on his face and very very creepy courtship yeah that that bit in particular is like it's doing this thing where it's trying to maybe evoke romance in older movies, I guess, where, you yeah. know, kind of the, the, the nuances aren't there. But something about doing it in an incredibly modern, uh, well, the modern context, but also in a movie that otherwise is kind of very, um, you know, kind of bleak and violent. In so a lot of ways. brutal, it seems, yeah. Yeah. Incred- probably the mo- one of the most violent films I've ever seen, which is saying something mm. when you consider how saccharine the first half is. It's It's quite jarring and i think in a year where you know we are talking about having record numbers of non-white actors nominated and you know uh uh really some some 
very diverse nominations across the board. I think a film that has so much period appropriate, but still quite shocking racism in it, yeah. coming from that director, sort of stands out like a sore thumb. And, and now, as a result, you know, he's making Suicide Squad 2, apparently. We <laughs> <laughs> so twisted. Horrible nightmare. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that he should be forgiven. I don't know. We have to separate art from artist, right? But I'm mm. uncomfortable with Mel Gibson's nominations. I think people have, maybe because we're, we've reached the point of no return now with, you know, when the president can get away with saying these things, that his comments have somehow been forgotten, but mm. I'm not sure that they should be. Yeah, I think the complete lack of contrition on his part is yes. kind of a big part of it. If he had been prostrating himself for years or if he had been actively trying to do something to earn forgiveness as opposed to becoming something of a recluse and occasionally making kind of direct-to-video action movies. Yeah, uh, or made a film which is, you know, which is, yes, a technical achievement, you're right, and and certainly in terms of, you know, scenes of, of, of war, I think, you know, they're they're very well done, but it's full of, you know, racial slurs and uh, cartoonish portrayals of the Japanese mm. and, and it's very jingoistic and... It's quite, it's really sanctimonious. Mm -hmm. All the things that we don't like about Mel Gibson, you know, the things that we, you know, that, you know, his racism and his misogyny and, and his extreme Catholicism, mm. he's being rewarded for everything that we, that we didn't like about it. It's not like he's come back with a film which showcases a different side of his, a different side of himself. Yeah, it's basically all the stuff South Park made fun of him for <laughs> like 10, 15 years ago. But yeah, I mean, the film kind of reminded me a little bit of Flags of Our Fathers, the Clint Eastwood movie, which was a lot more solemn and not as kind of gratuitous as his violence, but was also kind of balanced out by the fact he also made letters from Iwo Jima at the same time. So at yeah. least even though the film, the, the Flags of Our Fathers in itself was not that nuanced in its portrayal of the Japanese, at least you had in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, he's also made this like very kind of compassionate counterpart film. And obviously there's not that's not forthcoming from mel gibson i no, don't think the, the, it, it's gleeful he's reveling in the violence yes. um, and although i do think it's an, an incredible story mm. but i think that there is a much more interesting and complex film to be made about this and to be made about faith mm -hmm. you know because mel gibson would say that it was god who helped him on that battlefield but the question is there's a more interesting question about what what faith can empower us to do, you know, mm. um, rather than, I don't know, it was, it was, you know, saying all that, I would still give it three stars and, yeah. you know, that is an extraordinary hour of filmmaking. Yeah, but I've, I've got a lot of issues with Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, it's not, it's, it's got no chance of winning. No. Yeah. Well, we say that now. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, Hillary's got a 99% chance of winning, you know, it's like, like maybe he'll walk away with everything on uh, Sunday night. All the old but, men who are angry about the diversity in the nominations will <laughs> rally together and get behind Mel. Yeah, uh, but you know maybe it'll get overturned in the Electoral College. Um, <laughs> and uh, what what were kind of the most the biggest surprises for you in terms of the the nominations, or even for the people who just didn't get recognised? I mean, in terms of didn't get recognised, I mean, no great surprises. I would have loved to have seen Tom Bennett nominated. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen Kate Beckinsale nominated as well. Mm, I think that's it. Sure. She's she's terrific in love and friendship. She's so funny, and it also that wasn't a what was it was it was a Jane Austen that none of us were familiar with. I think probably I mean mm. even I mean I did an English degree and I haven't I hadn't read I hadn't read it, but um, 
I think she's really wonderful in that film. Becky Sharp is my favourite um, literary heroine and um, she reminded me a lot of that in that film. I loved it. As I said, I would have loved to have seen American Honey get stuff. I know a lot of people are disappointed about Annette Benning, mm-hmm. but having seen that film, I thought that the supporting performances in that film were more interesting. Yeah, Greta Gerwig in particular, I would have loved to have seen her Me nominated too. for that, or Jackie. I thought she had a great year. Oh, she really did. She's I'd completely forgotten about her and Jackie. She's great in Jackie. Greta Gerwig is, I mean, the first time I saw her was in the Arthur remake, mm-hmm. um, which is an absolute stinker, and she's awful in it because she's having to, to portray the very worst kind of a, a manic pixie dream girl. So I didn't like her, and I thought, oh, she's got this ridiculous name, and she's giving this ridiculous performance. And then, of course, I saw Frances Ha, which is... It's one of my favourite films of all time now. Yeah, same here. Um, and Maggie's Plan was... Oh, that would have loved to see Maggie's Plan get something this year. What a great film that is. But yeah, Frances Ha is just... a Miss America, oh God, she's, she's wonderful. Yeah, great actress, great writer as well. I'm sure yeah. she'll get... You know, the nominations will come for Greta Wittgerwig. She might just have to wait until she's Annette Benning's age. Um <laughs> I suppose um, Michael Shannon getting the nomination over Aaron Taylor-Johnson was something of a surprise, considering Aaron Taylor-Johnson won the, won at the Globes. Yeah, although I I was less surprised in that um, Michael Shannon was the only thing I liked about Nick Nocturnal Animals. So I totally agree with you. I did not like that film at all, but he was he was very good in it. I'm I'm not sure what we're supposed to make of that film really. Um, I didn't find it as as boring as his first film but yeah I, I don't really know what to make of it I'm I'm pleased it didn't get nominated very much but I do think Michael Shannon was was good in it um Amy Adams I suppose is the other the other big one to talk about from that film and from Arrival and I I guess we just put it down to the vote being split yeah yeah so it's a quite strong category best act, best actress and best supporting actress are pretty much always strong I guess because there's so few good roles written, written for women that when it comes to the end of the year it's like okay we have to put them all in one place um but yeah if, <laughs> if we if we could take uh Meryl out uh Amy Adams I think would probably slot in quite well yeah yeah though I though I really enjoyed Florence Foster Jenkins <laughs> I, I did thought... as well I just don't think one I think that her, she's a supporting performance I think it's a mm. um similar to Forrest Whitaker in The Last King of Scotland where technically she's like the title character yeah but the arcs of the film are not... She doesn't really have much of an arc. She's just a very colourful kind of figure who's yeah. entertaining to watch. So I wouldn't mind her being in supporting, but, like, yeah, I find her being in lead is very much kind of like the, oh, Meryl Streep's got a movie out, we have to nominate her for something. Yeah, I, I sort of felt like that, I think, before I saw it. And though, mm. actually, I think it's a really... You're right, maybe it does belong in supporting, but I think it's a really interesting performance. I think it's very hard to perform badly, Mm, yeah. when you're when you're very talented and I think she gets that exactly right she seems like she's trying really really hard you know she's not it's it's not comically well it is comically awful you know she can't sing but but the intent seems very pure um mm-hmm. and the effort seems genuine and I feel like she keeps that question hanging in her performance of how much she understands about how bad she is um, sure. because she can't be tone deaf you know she's a she was a a, a very good pianist um mm. i th- i thought it was a performance that that uh, en- literally anyone else doing it would be ludicrously broad and although yeah. it's still broad i think there is real nuance and pathos there um particularly in the scene where she is talking about like 
her getting kind of uh, the disease that kind of meant that she couldn't play piano so anymore. So sad. Yeah, she I mean, really brings a lot it. to We're supposed to think it's syphilis. She's literally bonkers. I don't know. I think there's quite a lot of stuff floating in the in the air there about exactly how good a performer she thought she was. But yeah, a really something of a very sweet love story. And I loved how they, I loved how they portrayed a companion, a companionate marriage, but being something of very true love. I think it's clear that Hugh Grant clearly loves her very much in the film. Yeah, um, but yeah. that it's not a sexual relationship at all. It didn't seem like he was taking advantage of her. I, it wasn't the film I was expecting it to be, and I enjoyed it very much. Um, but you're probably right. Perhaps compared to Amy Adams in Arrival, um, you could lift that one out. Mm. I think I think Jackie not doing as well as I assumed it would would be another one of kind of like a film that I think should have been nominated for Best Picture and Director and a couple yeah. of other things, and only only coming away with. Uh, Natalie Portman and the score, both of which are incredible. Yeah, but, you know, wow. But there's there's a lot more to that film than just kind of those two, the two elements that are easiest to kind of like pull out. I honestly keep forgetting that it's not nominated for best picture. It just seems I know. crazy that it's not. I thought it was a really remarkable film, and yeah, had that had that really rare quality of utterly transporting you, a bit like American Honey. You know, I just. Um, I was sort of felt like I was lifted out of the cinema for that period of time. This beautiful, mm. dreamlike quality, um, and a really interesting way to tell that story. And yeah, and to offer a different perspective on kind of a a subject that has been God, kind of yeah. worked over so many times in so many different ways. Um, to kind of offer as a different perspective on it was was something quite incredible. Uh, and also to have, you know, a, a moment of violence, which obviously is going to happen because of the story mm. it is, but was still really shocking and horrible to see. Very shocking, yeah. And really, I think something we've all, you know, everyone's seen seen that footage and, and mm. thought, I'm sure, about what it would be like to be in that car. But yeah. that moment is is very shocking, it's particularly in a film that, that, that throughout the rest of it does have this sort of dreamlike quality. That's a real sharp blow of reality. Uh, you've seen um, Elle, yeah. which uh, is the only one of the kind of the, the acting nominees that I haven't seen. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on, on Isabelle Huppert's performance in it? Because what I get from people talking is that it's a really good performance in an interesting movie. Yeah. But that it's more kind of like, because she was also in Things to Come, which a lot of people said was like an amazing movie and that it was some sort of like, because she was doing such good work, it had to be recognised for, for one of them. Yes, I think it it is a terrific performance, and again, she manages to to keep an air of inscrutability about the character's motivations. I was never because she reacts in such peculiar ways to the the, the shocking things that happen in the film, and she's got this mysterious past. There is this air of ambiguity throughout. I could never really predict what she was going to do next. It's it is a remarkable performance in that she's such an unusual character and, and it's played beautifully. How much of that is down to the to the writing and creating such an unusual female role? But yeah, it's a very credible performance. I mean, I wasn't blown away by the film. I think it's it's something that I could discuss for a long time, but I, I didn't particularly enjoy it while I was while I was watching it. Um, there is a lot of sexual violence in it, and I would I would caution anyone before watching it that that's the case there's there's multiple scenes of sexual violence in it and um that's quite a hard thing um i think for for everyone to watch but i i i feel very strongly about it and i just i just know that it 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 sometimes takes me away from from the film and makes it very hard to enjoy it 
so yeah, um, a really, a very good film and, and a very interesting performance. But, you know, she, she's bold and she's powerful. And as I said, you know, she has this uh, inscrutability about her motivations. But for me, um, wouldn't be the standout of this year's Best Actress nominee. Who 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 is your I guess Natalie Portman I suppose yeah Natalie Portman for sure I I I I enjoyed loving um, and I think it's nice to see a performance that's so understated nominated mm-hmm. yeah. um, that said I thought Joel Edgerton was perhaps more interesting mm, he's that very was, inscrutable yeah uh, yeah to go back to that word yeah it's a wonderful word um he yeah he's even more understated but. There's this sort of, um, he manages to do that thing where it seems like he's very calm, but there's a mm. quiet rage constantly burning underneath. And there is this, there were, there were multiple points when I was waiting for him to snap, mm. um, which created an, an interesting tension across a, across a generally quite an understated film that is just about two people who love each other and are simple, unremarkable people, mm. uh, except for this one thing, this one extraordinary set of circumstances. Um, that they're having to fight against but again not a performance that I would have uh, Ruth Negger's performance not not one that I perhaps would have put in there mm. myself though I am pleased that she's nominated Emma Stone I mean she's going to win isn't she because probably because it, it it's it's a performance that actors and directors and casting directors and people are going to love that performance you know mm. um, I, and unfortunately I think Natalie Portman would get it any other year it's certainly yeah. the performance of her career. It's certainly a better performance than Black Swan. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, sadly, I think no one else has got a, a chance. Yeah, I think her already having won probably also is like a thing, a knock against her. Like if she oh, wasn't already, a, if she wasn't a Oscar winner already, then maybe it'd be more of a contest. But like, well, she already won one like six or seven years ago. Emma Stone's been nominated at least once i don't know if she was nominated for anything other than birdman but like she's she's kind of a, a young up-and-comer you know she's someone that uh, people like a lot and i think there's a sense that weirdly there's a sense that she's due even though like yeah she's, she's like so, 28 she's, or something so young yeah but um i yeah I, I think she'll win for that audition scene alone mm. you know and and that is a beautiful um bit of acting um but but la la land for me is not I, don't, I know it's a film about Hollywood, but it's a film about acting, but it's not like an actor's film. Those aren't the things, mm. the performances for me aren't the things that stand out about that film. Yeah, it's very much a, a director's and a, 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 a cinematographer's movie. Absolutely, 100%. I completely agree. Which is fine. And that's why, even though I'm not kind of terribly high on the film overall, I don't mind like Damien Chazelle probably winning Best Director. Like, he. he didn't do my favourite kind of work as a director over the course of, of the nominees, but he, you know, he directed the hell out of the movie. <laughs> you know, it's, you uh, can't deny that he had a kind of a huge impact on it, that if someone else had made that movie from his script, it would have been markedly different and less effective. Yes, I would certainly agree with that. I think, you know, the achievements of, uh, you can't undervalue what Damien Chazelle's achieved at 31. You know, it is an mm. extraordinarily well-made film. Yeah. And I think it's easy now because it's been so critically lauded, the backlash is is inevitable. And certainly the mm-hmm. further away I get from it, the less excited I am about it. But when I saw it back in October, again at the London Film Festival, 
I didn't really know anything about it other than that it's supposed to be great. And it was great. And I came out and I was I was walking on a cloud and I had that that really magical feeling of, you know, that, that the world was a film and that everyone could start bursting into song at any minute. Yeah, you wanted to dance down the street after watching it. And it's quite rare to feel like that after watching a film. You know, six months later I I don't feel that way about it. But and certainly there are films that I prefer. But you're right, I think directing he he it would be very well deserved um for him to win best director which he almost i mean he's he won the, the dga didn't he so it's pretty much a done deal in in terms of like la la land in general i think i've had to uh recenter my kind of opinion of the movie because i watched it and i thought oh, that was nice that's a good movie <laughs> like i like <laughs> as nice. as someone who's watched like a lot of old musicals i think i was too wrapped up in like the kind of the spot the reference thing to really enjoy it too much or like that sense of like oh yeah he's borrowed that bit from an american in paris he's borrowed that bit from singing in the rain uh and so yeah. but i walked away from it i thought that's a that's a perfectly good very well made bit of filmmaking and i really liked it and then suddenly it gets nominated for everything and suddenly yeah you're like it, then it's like but it's it doesn't deserve all this moonlight's better or whatever and then you kind of the films get i end up doing the thing that i denigrate everyone else for and which i do every year which is like i just kind of like start pitting the films against each other uh and start kind of veering into the like oh it's terrible kind of uh, camp as opposed but i've kind of pulled back from that because i realized you shouldn't you shouldn't get wrapped up in like the narrative of of like these films being kind of competing against each other it's fine la la land can be a like a perfectly fine film that wins a lot of awards it doesn't mean that it's undeserving uh yeah absolutely i mean i my reaction to it initially, as well as thoroughly enjoying it, mm. was that's going to win Best Picture. Sure. You know, I think the buzz had already started by October, mm. but it's just so obviously going to win Best Picture. It's everything that an Oscar voter would love. Um, I can't remember a time when there's been such a sure thing. Mm. Um, like last year, it felt like, you know, like the DGA and the PGA and the Screen Actors Guild, I think they all went to different films. and Yeah. Certainly, I wasn't expecting Spotlight to win. But I, I honestly didn't have a clear expectation of who was going to win. You know, I, I wanted The Revenant to win. Mm-hmm. And this year, it just... There, there is something that, that takes away from the fun of it, that there's such a, a, a sure thing. But, I mean, imagine how exciting it would be if, if Moonlight or Manchester by the Sea take it. it. It's not beyond the realms of possibility, and I would no. be over the moon. Not to say that La La Land isn't a deserving winner, but it would just be so exciting to have an upset this year when mm. it seems so certain yeah and after a few years where or, but even like la la land winning everything would be interesting after three or four years when there hasn't been kind of like a sweep of it like every like last year i think the year before like it was notable that basically every film nominated for best picture won something like they at least won oh, one yeah. award and it was kind of very divided up so yeah even though i would like to see like Natalie Portman win Best Actress and and uh, and things like that, and to see the the love kind of shared out a bit more kind of generously. Um, the idea of seeing a movie kind of have a have a big kind of Lord of the Rings style or Titanic style sweep of everything would be yeah. exciting in its own way. I guess so. That's a good way to look at it, and I think that's pretty likely to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 matched the record for nominations, hasn't it? And I think. Yeah. In the majority of categories, it, it seems like it's the favourite. And then, sadly, things like Moonlight or Manchester by the Sea will probably pick up one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the excellent Best Picture nominees, I, I 
I really, really enjoyed Lion. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's going to get anything. Yeah, that was a big surprise. Before I saw it, that again, like Axel Ridge, it was a surprise that it got such kind of a broad swell of support. And then I watched it and I thought, oh, this is like such a uh, a kind of good example of Oscar, you know, Oscar bait is mm. not, is the kind of terrible word, but of award season filmmaking. I was like, based on a real yeah. story, well made, like deeply felt, you know, kind of an incredible story. Second half isn't as good as the first half, but the first half is so good that, you know, it kind of kind of carries it through that. Although Nicole Kidman's great throughout, you know. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I agree completely. I think the first half is is really something very special mm-hmm. and, and extraordinary and quite remarkable to get a performance like that out of such a young actor. Yeah. You know, it felt like watching, you know, a wonderful Jacob Tremblay in Room last year. Mm. You know, it felt like a similar thing and something really special. And then, yeah, I mean... Dev Patel moping around and <laughs> looking at Google Earth gets a bit boring after a point, but Nicole Kidman is so good mm-hmm. in that section of the film. Um, she elevates it, and I, w- I mean, I would love to see her win Best Supporting Actress. It's not going to happen, but that was the supporting performance, I think, that really stood out for me this year. A- and a true supporting role, you know, no, no category fraud or anything, mm. a proper just <laughs> solid supporting performance. And for her, not showy, you know, utterly without vanity, a, a genuinely wonderful performance that supports the whole film. The, the thing that Lion has that, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit disjointed in that one half is so much better than the other, but Lion has an absolutely showstopper of a finale, yes. which stays with you, you know, long after the film and leaves you, you know, sobbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that takes it a long way, but sadly I can't see any category where that's going to break through. But really... You know, nice that Dev Patel won the BAFTA because although he wasn't my favourite thing in it, I was just pleased to see the film get recognised. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think it just it just made me realise that I've I've done such a one eighty on Nicole Kidman because there was a long there was a time where she was like Colin Farrell, where like she seemed to be in everything, and it was kind of I got kind of overexposed with her, uh, and mm. also she was in Moulin Rouge, which was just such an inescapable movie <laughs> that it was kind of hard, and 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 in the. Baz Luhrmann perfume ad or whatever it was that used to air between before films <laughs> and it's hard that's a that's a real millstone around anyone's neck um yeah but like yeah like that or even and, and you know obviously like Dogville um Birth oh my god I love Dogville so much I think she's incredibly underrated mm. I mean I think she's a really interesting actress and I think it's it's fascinating to see you can sort of almost view her career in two halves mm. and the impact that that the divorce had you know stepping out of Tom Cruise's shadow yeah. to some extent. Um, and some of the really interesting choices. She, yeah, she made, you know, there is, I don't like Moulin Rouge at all either. <laughs> and certainly there are some. That said, there's some films I think that people would consider to be some of her lesser work. Like I think she's great in Bewitched. I think Bewitched is a really underrated, interesting uh, take on the sort of TV to film uh, reboot. The fact that it's a show within a show. And I think that's a really funny a really funny, good performance. And even in bad films, I think she shines. I, I still remember um, Birth, which is a kind of a stinker, but she's exceptionally good in mm. Birth. Yeah. yeah. There's a scene where she sat at the, at, the, at the opera and it's just a wordless close-up of her face and, she, oh my God, you know, she's incredible. Or even something like, I mean, it's a really good film, like the like her playing the villain in the Paddington movie from like two years yeah. ago. Yeah. That's, that's real range to go from that to yeah. Lion. Um, or even like when she's in that really bad Adam Sandler movie, um, Just Go With It, 
where like, oh, yeah. she's really she's really game she's really trying she really is and when 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 I, obviously there was a period where I, she was using way too many fillers mm. um and botox and stuff and i think it did it was a shame because she's got a, a fantastic face and it and it somewhat gave her that sort of waxy sheen but then she used that really to her advantage in stoker i thought i thought oh, yeah. like the the immovability of her face in that really worked and added something to that character. But I was glad to see in Lion that it looks like she's got full movement back mm-hmm. in her features. Yeah. <laughs> um, she looked like a, a human being again, which was which was nice to see. We shouldn't be so... I shouldn't, th- you know, comment on women's appearances like that. But I think Nicole Kidman is probably one of those women who felt pressure to stay young. Mm. And if she's let go of that now, that's wonderful because she looks fantastic in Lion. Mm. Oh, absolutely. At this point, we should probably go through our predictions, uh, unless there's any okay. other ones you want to talk about. No, I mean, just in terms of, I mean, the nominees, I think, you know, earlier this year, earlier in 2016, by the midpoint, I thought it was a pretty terrible year yeah. for film. And there was very little other than, you know, some of the things we mentioned, like Maggie's Plan and Love and Friendship and The Witch and A Bigger Splash and Zootopia, Green Room, a few really, but nothing that, to me was like wow this is you know a great year for cinema mm-hmm. certainly not like the previous year where i thought we were quite spoiled mm-hmm. but then award seasons come around and it, what an award season i've seen some absolutely brilliant films in the last two months and it's somewhat restored my faith in in cinema yeah i think that that's been the pattern for me like the last couple of years it's like you get to may or when, once blockbuster season and also like last year but the blockbusters were awful it was such a bad year for blockbusters horrible depressing like you didn't even have like at least the previous year you had fury road to kind of buoy your spirits (laughs) yeah and that more than made up for everything else yeah um, if that had been the only film that came out last year i would have been happy (laughs) (laughs) and so like everything just seemed like really terrible and then like the kind of the the spigot gets turned in like september and suddenly there's just like all of these like really interesting exciting movies all come out and yeah it suddenly like everything just completely turns around and on one level that's that's terrible for kind of film fans because it means that (laughs) you have kind of a long stretch of like six or seven months where not a huge amount interesting happens but like it's nice to kind of reach a certain point where you think okay yeah cinema's good now (laughs) yeah 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 maybe maybe you're right maybe that happens every year and i just i just really felt it this year because i think you're probably you're right because the blockbusters were so bad Mm -hmm. um by kind of june and july you were like oh i just I'd given up on going to the cinema and then and then everything turned around uh so let's let's try and predict let's make the mistake that absolutely everyone in 2016 did of trying to predict things um i think it's going to be easy super for some, easy. Of, for some of them yeah some of them are going to be uh we'll just do like the five the big five okay so let's start with actress in a supporting role the nominees are viola davis for fences naomi harris for moonlight nicole kidman for lion octavia spence for hidden Fi- oh actually I just like to say, I think Hidden Figures is a really good movie. I was really impressed. Oh yeah, with how I loved good... it. That again, like Lion, is like for me that's like the pinnacle of like a good award season movie, which is that it's really entertaining, it's really thoughtful, it's really it does a great job of actually kind of depicting systemic racism, <laughs> just kind of Absolutely. like in in a way that's like really accessible. Which is um, uh, uh, Taraji P Henson kind of having to run two miles to go to the bathroom because mm. there's no there's no coloured bathrooms in, in NASA, uh, which is obviously yeah. horrible, but, you know, it does it in a way that's really accessible to a mainstream audience. Uh, and I'm yeah. just really glad that's done well, both in the awards and to the box office. It, it feels to me like the, the spiritual sequel to A League of Their Own. You know, mm, there's, that, yeah. there's that moment in A League of Their Own where uh, the black girl catches the baseball and then throws it back. 
mm-hmm. and and she's it's a really really good throw and she kind of has that look with Gina Davis Gina Davis like no not yet it's not going to happen now it's kind of race is sort of almost ignored in that film because it's very specifically about about you know women's rights um, mm-hmm. and Hidden Figures struck me as quite similar in tone mm-hmm. and that scene in A League of Their Own always sort of made me really sad so I was, I was pleased to see um, how good this film was I mean yeah not you know, not one of the great films of all time, but thoroughly entertaining. A little, a little bit on the nose in places, but I mean, mm. it's you can forgive that. I think it's good to make films about important issues and certainly forgotten um, figures in history that are also just entertaining and that you know, young girls especially would want to see and enjoy. That's how I felt about A League of Their Own when I was young, mm. and I'm sure a generation of, of of young black women will watch this film and, and feel the same way about Hidden Figures. Yeah, and also it does have it, like it's it's a fairly broad film in a lot of ways, but then it does have some kind of ni- like nice nuanced moments, like uh, when uh, Kirsten Dunst is talking to uh, Octavia Spencer, and she, they're kind of having a conversation where she's saying, you know, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm where she basically says, I'm not being racist, and she says, I'm sure yeah. you think that. I'm sure you think that, yeah, which is an absolutely killer line, yeah. beautifully delivered. Yeah, it it it's a very enjoyable film. Uh, and uh, the last pers- uh, nominee to get back to it was uh, Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. So who would you like to win and who do you think should win? Oh, see, I said Nicole Kidman earlier, but yeah. this is that's difficult because Michelle Williams is is in... I mean, I'd love to know how many minutes she's in it. It feels like a bit of a, you know, Judy Dent situation mm-hmm. or, you know, Anthony Hopkins. I don't know. She's probably on screen for less than 20 minutes, would you say? I, I'd say she's probably in it for less than five because she's only really no, in like... Cause Maybe ten. The, Maybe ten. Yeah, minutes. because they have this sort of her sick in bed scene. You have her telling them off in the basement, and then the funeral, um, the, and then yeah, yeah, their and big then the funeral, and then and then running into each other in the street. I think combined, it, yeah, maybe maybe fifteen, twenty. But I, what she does in that time, there's an entire character arc, you mm. know, in 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 those brief scenes, and yeah, some of that is the writing, but in the the real showstopper of a moment that everyone is talking about in reference to this performance when they run into each other in the street um that's one of the most powerful five minutes of cinema i think i've ever seen and it's it's both of their performances and he's Mm. doing something um much more understated than she is but um the complexity of the range of emotions that she is expressing is is breathtaking yeah and uh, and like you say it's also it's partly the the writing in the the whole film has been so controlled up until that point. Like everyone yeah. is desperately trying. Everyone's being very kind of New England about it and desperately trying not to talk mm-hmm. about what's going on and what their emotions are. And then she's trying to break through, and like she's she kind of has you know a huge hugely powerful and and impactful performance as a result. And yeah, she's she's uh, amazing in that. Um, I would probably yeah I'd probably go for hers who I would want to win, but I feel like. Viola Davis is probably going to yeah, win. Yeah, she she's going to win. Um, and uh, it's it's overdue. And you know she's now with uh, a meager three nominations is now the the most nominated black actress in history, which is slightly embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but she absolutely um deserves it. It, it. I didn't love that film. She's very good in it. She's a very good actress. I think had I seen her on stage doing that performance, mm-hmm. I think it would have absolutely blown me away. But it feels like a very big performance. Mm. It's, um, when you're not playing to the back of a theatre, for me, perhaps all the performance in that in that film are a little bit big. 
yeah, and I think it, it also doesn't help that it's based on a script that was finished 11 years ago and then August Wilson died and then no one has done anything to it, I'm guessing, by the fact that he's still mm-hmm. the only credited writer. Like if someone, mm. had, if maybe he had been alive to kind of help them shape it and make it more cinematic, it wouldn't have felt so on totally. the nose. But totally. And I think if you when you hear Denzel Washington interviewed about the film, he is so reverential mm. of of both the writer and this particular piece of work. Yeah. Um, that he clearly wouldn't want anyone to touch it. And I think that is to its detriment. It doesn't I like stagey films, I like films based on plays, mm-hmm. but for me it just it just didn't work. And you did warn me of that before I watched it. Um <laughs> and you're absolutely right. Yeah, I I it was it was ludicrously on the nose. Yeah, what's the line? Uh, some people build fences to keep people oh, out. Yeah. Some people build them to keep people in, which is whoa. <laughs> is a real kind. It's a of... metaphorical fence, you guys. Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, it really reminded me of like doubt <laughs> when when Meryl <laughs> Streep goes, "I have so much doubt." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. end the film on that note. What a yeah, great choice. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think we're all. I think we and the world are agreed that Viola Davis will win it. Um, yeah. If Michelle Williams or Nicole Kidman won, I would be absolutely overjoyed. And I think of those two, Michelle Williams is probably the she's 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 second, isn't she? She's behind Viola. She's got a, she's yeah. got a reasonable chance. Yeah. Best performance by an actor in a supporting role. We have uh, Marshala Ali for Moonlight, Brett Jeffries for Hello High Water, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, uh, Deb Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Who do you think will? Who do you think should? Well, it's a Another interesting category. I do think the nominations are interesting this year. Mm. I out of the Moonlight cast, um, I would have rather seen Trevant Rhodes nominated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that performance isn't being talked about as much, but that that's a film about um, uh, masculinity um, and homosexuality in the black community. And I think that his section of the film, the the contrast between the the image that he's created for himself you know Mm. the version of himself that he thinks he has to be and what he's going through internally i don't i just think it's an incredible performance Mm. but he's not nominated so (laughs) and and in the hell high water cast i would have gone for ben foster over jeff bridges jeff bridges is good but i feel like ben foster's one of those people who always seems on the verge of kind of breaking out and becoming a big star and every time it just doesn't happen for him (laughs) He's very inconsistent, though, yeah. you know, and I and and that that performance was unhinged mm-hmm. and brilliant, but I think it could have it was right on the line where it could have been terrible. Um, it works, I think, because because of Chris Pine and mm. the way they play off each other. Because sometimes I think he's absolutely awful. Like I thought he I thought he was terrible as Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a another really. All right on the verge of parody as as an Oscar film that clearly didn't pay off for them. Yeah, I think yeah, it would be lovely to see Lucas Hedges get it. Mm. That's a an incredibly good performance. Dev Patel, he's not the best thing about that film. No, not by a long shot. Although he's he's good in it, he's fine. But yeah, when all you do is mope, there's not a huge amount of uh, variety on display. Yeah, it it's just it's just quite a a nothing role you mm. know there's there's not a lot for him to do there and it's the same with Rooney Mara in that film they're just the by far the least interesting part of I mean Rooney Mara seems to keep getting these you know dreary girlfriend roles which I wish she'd stop taking because she's mm. a much better actress than that yeah 
Um, I think, you know, Mahershala Ali is going to win. <laughs> there's not a real... <laughs> we're talking about the others as if there's a discussion, but yeah. he's going to win. So that's it. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely performance. It's just interesting why that performance... Maybe it's because of feelings people have about him generally as an actress and an actor and generally feeling like it's due mm. and warm feelings towards him generally. Um, I would find it hard to pick out a single performance out of that film. If I was going to, it would be Trevant Rhodes. But I'm I'm happy to see any of the wonderful um, performances in that film recognised because that really is an actor's picture. Yeah, I thought I saw someone on Facebook and on, on Twitter rather say that they they felt it was because he's having a moment that you know he's yeah, he's, yeah. In, he's in Luke Cage he's also in Hidden Figures mm-hmm. uh, and it's just kind of like it just feels like the momentum is behind Absolutely. him. Absolutely, that's exactly that's a brilliant way to put it. Um, much more articulately than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like yeah, like if I had my druthers, like this whole category would just be like people from Moonlight because I think everyone I in that movie is so yeah. good. What a what a wonderful mix of I mean it's it's a film about masculinity which is full of terrific male performances mm. um and yeah any anyone in that film would be deserving of a nomination yeah and but and and that's not to um not talk about um Janelle Monáe and uh, Naomi Harris who are both excellent as well and again yeah. um it really really great to see um Janelle Monáe who's such a wonderful um performer as a musical artist being two of the you know the best films of the year and deliver a couple of really interesting performances she's certainly one to watch yeah as far as kind of first and second films go it's a good start I know, right <laughs> amazing good old janelle okay so best performance by an actress in the leading role uh, you've got uh, isabel huppert in l ruth nager for loving uh, natalie porton for jackie emma stone for la la land and meryl streep for florence foster jenkins i think we've covered this in our firm emma stone's yeah. probably gonna win uh and we want jackie to yeah so we'd like natalie portman to do it yeah. Um, yeah. That that felt like I think bringing something new to a character that we all think we have some kind of a handle on, mm. and something that could have very easily just been um, an impression or a caricature. You know, she made me like Jackie Kennedy a hell of a lot more than I did before, mm. but not through just simple pathos. You know, I thought she was funny and complex and. Yeah, just I really loved that performance. Yeah, and in terms of serving, I guess the themes of the movie, she does a really good job of uh, of embodying the idea that you know maybe that Jackie Kennedy is the reason why people think of JFK so fondly. Um, mm. Like, like, like she was the one who protected his legacy when she's talking about you know, you know what happened to Lincoln or what happened to McKinley is like the difference between the one president who was shot and is you know routinely considered yeah. one of the greatest Americans of all time and one who was shot and no one remembers anything about them uh, and, and that she was such her kind of being so central to planning the days after his death really kind of cemented him in history um, to the extent that like even just a couple of days ago there was a poll of like the greatest president histo- historians ranked kind of like the, the great presidents and I think JFK was in the top 10 which is uh, incredible considering he didn't do a huge amount as president no like. he had like two and a half years in the white house yeah so he's still not a chance to really do yeah no you're right her obsession with securing his legacy is is a really interesting part of the film and um and you know bobby's concern about that about the things that they wanted to do and now we'll never have a chance to and then compounded by the you know the the tragedy of of, of, of us having foresight into what's going to happen there is mm. 
it's it's a very sad film, but um, she's she's wonderful. But yeah, I think she could pull an upset if there was going to be an upset. That's a possible category. But Emma Stone, I think, is incredibly likely. I mean, Isabel Huppert could could do it. I mean, she 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 got it at the Globes, mm. but perhaps only because Emma Stone was in comedy and she was in drama. But yeah, I wouldn't be stunned. She's won a fair few awards already, probably more than Natalie Portman has. Yeah, the, yeah, it's a weird category in that it feels as settled as some of the other ones do. Like, there's a clear front runner, but there's mm. also like, like you say, there's those people who have won awards elsewhere. You think, oh, they they could just kind of sneak in. Yeah, totally. If if enough people have just decided, ah, Emma Stone's young, she can get another award. We haven't given Isabel Huppert one, despite being like one of our great actresses. Maybe Absolutely. she should. Absolutely. Yeah, another case of being due, perhaps. Mm. Uh, so best actor performance by an actor in a leading role we have Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge which is still kind of a strange one uh, Ryan yeah. Gosling for La La Land uh, Viggo Mortensen for Captain yeah. Fantastic talk about a surprise yeah um, a film that we haven't talked about yet and uh, Denzel Washington for Fences I I am um, I enjoyed Captain Fantastic but not necessarily mm. a film I would have expected to be Oscar nominated no I did enjoy at the SAG Awards where they the entire cast reprised the um, stick it to the man, fight the power mm-hmm. um, kind of call and response from the stage. That was very lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's really good in it. Uh, he and is. I was, yes, yeah, again, it's one of those ones that no one really seems to be talking about. And then suddenly he's nominated for best actor. It's, it's surprising, but it's a kind of a pleasant surprise. So I think for me, will and should are the same actor which is kfc affleck oh 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. i don't think there's any question or competition in this category yeah uh, he just does such an amazing job at making emotional kind of repression i guess or kind of trying of or emotional kind of non-demonstrativeness if there's that's there's probably a better way to describe it than what i use <laughs> but like yeah, make that compelling the fact that he can't be emotional because he's he's got everything kind of like trapped inside him and then offering and also offering like the clear contrast in the flashbacks where you see that he used to be kind of a livelier a livelier and and kind of more vivacious person uh, and then horrible horrible things happen yeah Um, but yeah he's just he's just it's an incredible performance by him uh, and whatever his uh, failings as a person which are, are considerable by most accounts he is he does a great job in the movie yeah a lot of that I totally agree. And I think a lot of that, again, is, is in the script. What mm-hmm. an, an excellent script that is. And um, the you darting between present day and the flashbacks and the tension that's built about trying to figure out exactly what has transformed this man so completely. Mm. So I think it's a combination of that terrific performance and an incredibly well-plotted drama. You know, really, really good structure. I see so many, so many dramas that... I just think, oh God, you could have you could have structured this in a, such a more interesting way, mm. you know, to make this more compelling. And um, I think Manchester by the Sea is really one of those rare, almost melodramas yeah. that's that's so well structured to create real tension and contrast, you know, building towards that that central reveal. And to put that in the middle as well, I think is interesting, you know, where mm. we do find out what happened, um, and and then and then the aftermath. It's it's incredible and a really wonderful performance right from the get-go. I think those those early scenes in in Quincy when he's um, sleepwalking through his life as a handyman, mm-hmm. just and you're right, doing so very little 
um, except trying desperately not to engage with anyone. Yeah. And then those brief moments when he, you know, when he when he snaps again, just a very exciting performance. I I loved Manchester by the Sea. Really loved it. And in terms of contrast, it's also interesting seeing how very different it is to um, Margaret, which is like mm. a film that is nothing but raw emotions that are constantly being kind of screened yeah. at the screen in a in a kind of a, a way that makes it's more effective than that sounds. But yeah, it's like you couldn't find two more kind of different movies from no. the same director, which is incredible. Yeah, I I I saw that film twice, but the first I think I saw it. And then I forgot that I saw it, and I and I got, got halfway through before I realised I'd already seen the film. I was like, "Oh, I've seen this film," which doesn't necessarily speak hugely <laughs> highly of it. Um, this was a much more memorable work for me. <laughs> um, I think the development hell didn't didn't do that film any favours. No, I had the same thing happen to me watching Absence of Malice, the mm-hmm. uh, Paul Newman um, kind of drama, where mm-hmm. I watched the entire movie until a scene where Wilfred Brimley shows up to kind of resolve everything and i thought oh i've already seen this movie <laughs> yeah yeah i still i still watch the end of margaret um you know it's 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 a good film mm. but certainly it feels when um something like manchester by the sea is so tightly and brilliantly structured mm-hmm. and um every scene is impactful um and really counts um margaret felt uh, it didn't have that for me it felt unfinished which by all you know by all accounts it, it essentially is mm. and also where he's trying to grapple with so many things like the uh, to try and make kind of a a epic um metaphorical drama about what it is to be in America post 9/11 through the story yeah. of a of a young girl and then mm-hmm. you know, trying to make that all kind of make sense kind of doesn't doesn't quite come together but um, yeah Manchester by the sea is, is brilliant lies in its its simplicity you know it's it's very much about about one thing it, it, it's really extraordinary um the the way people i mean and again i mean we, we kind of skipped over lucas hedges a bit but that's mm, yeah. a really exceptionally good performance as well there isn't there isn't a duff performance in that film and you're right you know having it's a it's very specifically a, a massachusetts film mm. it feels like a real boston film like people trying to squash down their emotions and every time they leak out it's amazing you know um, I've made jokes about that freezer scene, but it really is a a beautiful scene and a wonderful performance. And Lucas Hedges would be deserving of recognition just for that scene in front of the freezer alone. Yeah, that that is one of my favourite little moments of of performance in any film last year. Was just like this this very small thing that just unlocks something in him, and then he can't quite deal with his emotions because they're just coming kind of like pouring out. It's a really um, he does a great job of, of portraying something that could be ridiculous and silly if it wasn't someone yeah. else, if it was someone else doing it. But, I mean, I don't people. I mean, people have talked about it again. People aren't talking as much as I would like about how funny that film is. I laughed really out loud funny. a lot during yeah. that film, and just the ludicrousness of like when he can't remember where he's parked his car. You know, there mm-hmm. are some real some real levity in that film, and that's sort of the reality of life, isn't it? Even when you're going through unimaginable grief you know things things funny things still happen um and i think it's really hard to get that that tone right and the more i talk about it the more i want manchester by the sea to win i'm <laughs> going to be very disappointed when it ends up winning nothing yeah I, I think it's got a chance in original screenplay i think kenneth lonergan he's someone who's been around and he's been nominated a few times i think people generally like his work so maybe 
I would hope. I would hope it will win that. I think it, if it's going to win anything, oh, well, on the, of course, Casey Affleck's going to win. Yeah, I think it'll get those two. I agree. We'll go to best director, which is Denis Villeneuve for Arrival, uh, Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Cazale for La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. For me, uh, I would like to see Barry Jenkins win it because I think he does such a good job of juggling the the tones of of moonlight and creating that kind of sense similar to american sunny of that sense of being enveloped by the world of a movie Mm, uh and it it is such a kind of a gorgeous delicate piece of work but damien giselle i think uh it has kind of it's it's just la la land is just like a technically brilliantly made movie like it's it's undeniable how well he directed it yeah, those those two Wunderkind <laughs> both deserve it absolutely, yeah. and I think Damien Chazelle will almost certainly win it. And it is a a real technical achievement. I agree with you. I'd rather see Barry Jenkins do it. Um, that's a beautifully directed film. But yeah, I I don't think there's really anyone else has got a look in. Though that said, I would be pretty happy for anyone in that category to win except Mel Gibson. <laughs> I'm not sure should even be allowed in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I think they they all do a really, really good job. Denny, I, I've not liked uh, Denny Villeneuve film prior to this. Like, I really didn't like Sicario or Prisoners. Oh God, Sicario was so boring. What, what, what did everyone like about that film? I don't know. I think everyone just had residual goodwill towards Emily Blunt for Edge of Tomorrow. That's the only reason I can think. Of. I mean, yeah, like Edge of Tomorrow is is a far superior film to yeah to Sicario. I. I was baffled by that one. Yeah, not not a good movie, but everyone seemed to think it was. Um, not as many of those this year, I don't think. I don't feel no. like there are any that were kind of critically beloved that I saw, and I thought, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, they're all interesting. I mean, again, apart from Fences, which I really didn't enjoy, but I still understand why it's there. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go to Best Picture, and the nominees are... All nine of them. Arrival, Fences, yeah. Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. I think we both know who's going to win. I think we've said it yeah. multiple times that La La Land is probably going to win. Uh, but which of those would you like to see win? It's. I find it almost impossible to choose between Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea because mm. I think they're both perfect films in their own ways. Yeah. I really don't have any criticism of either of those films. I, I, I think to have two... It, I feel a bit like last year that I did about Mad Max and Room. Mm. Um, when I, I loved them both so much, I, I couldn't choose between them. Um, and they're very different films. Interestingly, Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea sort of aren't, aren't that different, I suppose, in the types of films they are. Yeah. Um, they're both very masculine films, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Room and... Oh, there you go. And Mad, Mad Max and Room were both about kind of a, you know, maternal love conquering the patriarchy in different ways so mm-hmm. that's you know patriarchal violence um which is interesting i think i think i think manchester by the sea i think i think moonlight's got a better job of stealing it away from la la land i yeah. think manchester by the sea is probably the you know coming in third at the minute yeah i'm i think manchester by the sea i think the biggest knock against manchester by the sea is the fact it's produced by amazon and I get the sense that the mm. I get the sense that the based on Netflix complete inability to break into like the major categories that the Academy may have some sort of bias against anything that's How interesting streaming. I guess Amazon get around it because they do have like a theatrical um, release strategy, and then like yes. say in three in three months you can stream it, as opposed to Netflix just saying, okay, we're going to release Beasts of No Nation into a thousand screens, and also you can watch it at home, and then yeah. 
uh, are surprised when they don't do that well at the box office. Um, but like, yeah, it, it, I, it, it's it's kind. Of, I think that's the thing that would kind of go against it. Moonlight certainly has, um, like, I think the zeitgeist is more with it than Manchester by the Sea in that it is a movie that celebrates very different life experiences than the kind of movies that usually win Oscars. Yeah, it will be. Well, I mean, if it does, if it does sneak it out from underneath La La Land, it will be a real testament to what the changes to the Academy's makeup might have done. Yeah. Um, because you couldn't, yeah, exactly. You couldn't get a film about about a subject matter further away from probably the majority of the Oscar voters, and a film that's really vital for representation. And mm. um, I think there are so few films about black gay men. Mm. Um, it's it's something really remarkable but yeah i just i just love manchester by the sea so much mm. i mean i really i really liked you know all of these films in, in different ways you know hacksaw ridge i've we've talked about i've got issues with and and fences but other than that i think that's a really strong varied and, and diverse lineup i mean to have um you know two films that are that are largely um you know about black america and uh and to have lion in there as well which is an interesting film about uh, adoption and to have a, a mainly Asian cast. Yeah, I think really interesting year. Yeah, and, and also like one of the elements of the Oscars that I find quite interesting is that in a sense, the nom- you know, people say it's an honour to be nominated, but it genuinely a nomination can be enough to kind of completely change someone's career. 100%. Like Barry Jenkins made Medicine for Melancholy in like 2008, I think was his last movie, mm-hmm. and he hasn't made another movie since then he worked on The Leftovers for a little bit, but not in a kind of a huge way. Oh, on Series 1 or Series 2? I think Series <laughs> 1, I think. Okay. Uh, he I was... really like Series 2 of The Leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, his since he's been nominated for all the awards for Moonlight, suddenly, like, he's got, like, a Guillermo del Toro-style kind of slate of projects that are just kind of yeah. opening up. Uh, and that's kind of, that's, that's what the victory in some ways is that he's kind of finally got his foot in the door and he can do kind of the things that, he couldn't he couldn't do for kind of eight years because his first film didn't get that much attention despite being super good medicine melancholy is a really really good movie so yeah so i think that the the exciting thing about this is is more just kind of like seeing what some of these the people involved with these movies will will get to do next like damien giselle you know he's going to be able to write his own ticket for, for decades based on la la land oh absolutely um i just hope he makes a film about something else not jazz I feel like a, <laughs> yeah Whiplash and La La Land, although they're very different in tone, sort of cover the same subject matter. So it'd be nice to see him do something else. Yeah, comic book movie. That's the next step. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in terms of box office, it seems like the real winner out of this is going to be Hidden Figures, mm. which feels right yeah. because it is a film that everyone can enjoy. You could recommend Hidden Figures to anyone, and I don't think that's true of every film on that list. And um, um, apparently, regardless of whether La La Land or Hidden Figures wins, they'll be the highest grossing Best Picture winner since Return of the King. Because no wow. no box off, no uh, Best Picture winner has earned more than $140 million since, uh, since uh, the Return of the King. So it would be crazy to see, to think that uh, those movies that get all this attention tend not to do that well. <laughs> Well, I think other than it's such a small percentage of the population that actually gives a shit about this. Yes. I mean, we, we've talked about it for over an hour, <laughs> but I could bring it up with most of my friends and they wouldn't have any interest in talking about it for more than five minutes. And I do think it doesn't 
you know, it, it means it means a lot to a very small group of people and next to nothing to the majority of people. There, there is a, a there is often a boost after the nominations though, just because people who are maybe casual mm. filmgoers only see like a couple of films a year. Suddenly they have like a list of films saying, "Oh, these are the best movies you need to see." They do tend to kind of see a little bit of a boost, but yeah, it's not. It's very rare for kind of a best picture nominee to go from earn, earning like fifty million dollars to like 200 or million dollars except for ironically the revenant which did exactly that last year (laughs) well i mean the revenant was a real um i know we shouldn't really talk about last year we could talk forever but um the (laughs) revenant was a real surprise for me because i i hated birdman absolutely Mm -hmm. hated it and i was expecting to hate the revenant i went in almost wanting to hate it so it was it was a wonderful surprise (laughs) that it turned out to be so great Okay, uh, so we end every show, or most shows, sometimes I forget, but we end most shows with uh, SRS Recommends. And uh, so we're going to recommend some films for people to kind of check out. What have you got to recommend to us, Zoe? Okay, I'd like to nom- uh, to recommend one of the other nominees at the Oscars in a category where people probably don't always watch everything that's been nominated, or indeed anything that's been nominated. Um, I'd like to recommend um, Joe's Violin, which is nominated in the documentary short category. Mm. Um, I don't usually watch the documentary shorts, I have to admit, which is uh, a mistake I will be rectifying in future, because uh, they're all terrific. The reason I'm recommending this one particularly is is my friend Raffaella um, produced this documentary. Wow. So, yeah, so she is going to the Oscars. She is in the class of 2017 nice. picture, uh, sat right next to Ruth Negger on the front row, which is very exciting. Um, it's a really brilliant film uh, about a, uh, a 92-year-old Holocaust survivor who donates his violin to a program that distributes instruments to underprivileged kids in the Bronx mm-hmm. um, it's it's a great film about uh, the the value of of art in the very worst of times which is a message which is always important to remember and perhaps when people tell you that you know talking about films or you know wasting your time thinking about the Oscars there are more important things that you could be discussing at the minute but art is it's most valuable when times are tough and I really recommend that film it's great and it's and it's available online you can just google it and watch it straight away I'm also going to recommend one of the best documentary shorts. I was worried for a second that we were going to recommend the same one. Um, but uh, because uh, the uh, the podcast, the great podcast, um, Film Spotting SVU, posted a bunch of links on Twitter, basically saying, hey, this is where you can watch all of the best documentary no- nominees. So uh, last night I watched The White Helmets on Netflix, which is mm-hmm. a 40-something minute documentary about the first responders in Syria who go out after you know bombings and attacks uh, in places like Aleppo uh, to basically dig people out of the rubble at great risk to themselves. Many of them have died as a result of doing this and it follows a few of these first responders as they go about after attacks digging people out and uh, it's you know heartrending <laughs> unsurprisingly uh, and incredible seeing these people like one of them basically starts off saying like I thought I fought in the with the rebels for like six months and I decided that uh, I could do more good without a gun uh, by going out and just mm. saving people. And you see things of like them going out and digging, like digging for 16 hours to get a baby out of the rubble of a house that's fallen down. And just like the 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 terror that they feel when they're away from Syria getting training in Turkey and they can't get in contact with friends and family during attacks and things like that. Uh, and it's just a hugely effective and beautiful film about, basically about saying, 
you know, people don't talk much about Syria in the West, or if they do, they talk about like refugees, ignoring the fact that there are a reason that they are refugees, which is that their lives are being kind of torn apart by war, and it it shows the kind of the humanity of people who are trying to do something good in the midst of just complete horror and disaster and it's maybe not the best thing to watch right before you go to bed as i did (laughs) but still a hugely kind of uh effective and wonderful piece of filmmaking and it's on on netflix as are kind of a couple of the 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 films nominated in this category great um that's really funny because we didn't talk about that beforehand (laughs) and we both picked one of the documentary shorts but we all have to Keep our fingers crossed for Joe's violin because you don't know the producer of that film. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to see her get on stage. Uh, okay, thank you, Zoe, for coming on the show again. Where can people find you online? You can find me uh, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Zozrat, Z O Z R A T. And please do, if you are in the UK, check out King's Place, where we have lots of great uh, performances, including the comedy which I program. You can come and see. Kieran Hodgson doing Maestro very shortly and we have The Guilty Feminist coming up Um, and do keep your eyes peeled for announcements about the London Podcast Festival uh, which is returning uh, September this year. Great. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast then please subscribe and review us on iTunes. You can also find us on Twitter at SRS underscore podcast and on Facebook. We'll be back next week with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me.